Hey, what's up, guys? It's Eddie. Um, it's Sunday, April 5th, 2020. Obviously, I'm about to release an episode of the podcast. You're about to hear Andrew Sides from Lost Draw Sellers. Uh, we recorded this probably a month, month and a half ago. Clearly, a few things have changed since then. Wanted to give you an update on what's going on with Lost Draw if you listen to this and uh, want to buy some of their wine or whatever. They, they are in HEB. They're in Whole Foods, so you can go in San Antonio or Austin and pick up some of their wine. Uh, their tasting room in Fredericksburg is completely closed right now, um, but they are offering curbside pickup and deliveries within Gillespie County. Uh, you can give them a call. Uh, you can, I believe, order online, um, and you can visit their website at lostrossellers.com and, and find out all that information. They're also offering, uh, and a lot of places are doing stuff like this, but they're offering a virtual tasting for $185. You'll get six bottles of uh, 100% Texas-grown wines, and then I think you'll get on like an online thing, and they're going to give you a corkscrew and wine glasses and tasting menus and the whole thing. Uh, one rosé, two whites, and three reds, and they'll go through the whole tasting with you, and it's kind of a fun thing. I also wanted to let you know that, obviously, if you've tried to go to Shotgun in the last two and a half weeks, we are also closed uh, for to-go orders or anything like that, um, in case there was any confusion there. But something I've been doing, that, and I just really appreciate the support on this, it's, it's been kind of overwhelming, is we're doing free deliveries uh, for all retail coffee. And so if you go onto our website... Um, and it'll have a, a coupon code at the very top of our website, and it's on all of our social media. But the code is SATX Coffee. That's SATX Coffee. Use that code at checkout for as little as one bag of coffee. And if you're in the San Antonio area, I'll deliver it to your doorstep for free, completely contactless delivery. Um, and we'll deliver that to your doorstep. You can get one bag, you can get two bags, you can get three bags. Um, you can get it, you know, join our subscription to where you're delivered once a week or once every two weeks or once every month. Um, and we're also selling for the very first time ever, uh, five pound bags of coffee. These usually go to our wholesale, you know, restaurant clients and, and things like that. But I, you know, since everybody's kind of cooped up in their house right now, we decided, uh, at the beginning of all this to just, you know, make our wholesale bags available for sale. And we're selling those for, so for instance, if you get a 12 ounce retail bag, it's $15. If you get a five pound wholesale bag of coffee, it's $60. Um, I promise you that is about the best price you're going to find on anything like that. So if you're looking to bulk up, uh, get a lot of coffee, that's $12 a pound. Uh, and go look at other companies. You're not going to find anything better than that. I promise you. Uh, and I will also, that's include in free delivery in San Antonio, so I'll bring that to your door. Uh, we also have Two Hives Honey on the site, and Arby Bagley Pecans, and some of our custom-made prints that our barista Macy made. Uh, so get on the website, make some orders. Uh, also, if you order just two bags or more uh, and ship them out of San Antonio, if you want to ship some coffee to a friend or ship a five-pound bag to, to a friend, Free, free shipping on that. So you can get a five-pound bag of coffee, ship it to someone in Wisconsin, and I'll ship it for free. It'll be $60 flat for the coffee, and that's it. Um, so yeah, we really appreciate all the orders. I know Lost Draw will appreciate all the orders. Tons of companies around San Antonio are doing the same thing. I know Wildflower Caramel Company, our neighbors, uh, they're delivering coffee within the loop, or d delivering caramels within 1604. I know all the other coffee companies are doing similar things that we're doing. Um, a lot of the restaurants, obviously, are, are effectively 
provision shops right now and they have flour and sugar and canned goods and all the things you might need. I picked up um, 30 eggs from fr- the Fruteria on uh, Johnny Hernandez Fruteria on, on uh, South Flores. Um, we've picked up pizza from Barbaro. We've picked up pizza from Il Forno. We've picked up beer from Dorchel and, 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 you know, go down the list of the podcast. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, go, go through the list and look at some of these companies that you like. I know Antonelli's cheese, um, similar to what Lost Draw is doing with virtual wine tasting. They're doing these virtual cheese tastings where they'll deliver a bunch of cheeses to your house with some, you know, you know, spreads and, and honeys and all sorts of stuff. And then they'll do a virtual tasting through, through zoom or Skype. Um, and they seem like they're doing, uh, you know, doing a lot of them. So, uh, try to get on that. If you're into cheese, uh, I'm looking at the list Two hives, honey, I know is still delivering. We were selling some of their stuff, which those have actually been flying off our shelves online. So that's been pretty cool. Oh, you know, I haven't done Garrison Brothers. I've been trying to get them on. But Garrison Brothers and probably some of the other distilleries that we've done, like Treaty Oak and some of them, are uh, they'll deliver. I don't even know you could do that. But they, they're delivering whiskey to your doorstep, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, I know Honcho's House of Churros is still open. They were my third guest on the podcast, Roadmap Brewing. Uh, we actually did a little barter with uh, Dustin and Hannah and gave them some coffee. They gave us some beer. But I know for a fact that they just opened their their online uh online kind of web store where you can order beer and crowlers, 32 ounce crowlers online. Uh, and they'll, you know, have them for curbside pickup and possibly delivery. I'm not really sure. Kunstler Brewing uh, is doing uh, pickup as well. Hop Dotty Burger Bar. I saw, I think on Instagram yesterday that they were doing some sort of $5 burger special it's like five bucks for for a hot dotty burger which is unheard of so uh i mean a lot of really good deals going on around town right now uh we've done the hot joy their little 20 dollar takeout thing which we didn't know if it'd be enough food for for two of us and it was more than enough we had we had leftovers the next day um cuvee coffee is doing similar things to us you can go online and order five pound bags from them uh, uh and some of their retail bags uh, Jester King is still still kicking and, and, and you know doing really cool things. Um, and I know seriously chocolate is still selling selling their stuff as well. So yeah, the point is all all small businesses are hurting right now. Um, we were all just able to apply for our you know loans if that's something we wanted to do with the, the paycheck protection program and some of that stuff that just happened this last Friday. Um, but all of that's very muddled right now. It's kind of hard to get done and it's kind of we're not really seeing an end in sight so if you if you like any of the companies that you listen to on the podcast um show them some support go on their website and see kind of what kind of special funky deals they're offering because what's been kind of cool is you're really seeing a lot of these entrepreneurs getting out and figuring out new and inventive ways to offer their products to the masses and um it's cool seeing that but it's also really really cool seeing all of you uh, showing your support and getting online and and driving up and I love seeing you know I live right by Cookhouse and Attergirl and, and seeing these lines of cars uh, getting you know to go po boys and and things like that and I hope to just keep seeing that stuff and maybe within a month month and a half we'll be be out of this and everybody can go out and uh, hang out and drink beer and drink wine and eat food again and uh, most importantly go to coffee shops and. Uh, and congregate and have community and have fun. Uh, so yeah, stay home, watch Ozark season three. Uh, we were, we watching the walking dead. We've been watching 
obviously Tiger King. We watched that. Uh, just rewatching a bunch of crap TV. Yesterday was Saturday. It was dreary. It was rainy. It was cold. And we did not do a thing all day. I think Jessica and the dogs didn't get off the couch for about seven hours. Um, I went and made a couple of deliveries. I think I went to go get more wine. Uh, but other than that, it's just been kind of hanging out. We skipped an episode of the podcast last week. I've had to cancel some interviews. Uh, I have lick ice cream coming up and I need to figure out a way to do that on zoom or, or something. Uh, really excited to get back into the studio cause we have, we have a lot of cool guests coming up. So anyway, um, just wanted to give you all a little, uh, little preface before, before we started the episode about kind of what's going on with me, what's going on with the podcast, what's going on with, um, you know, guests and future guests and things like that. So enjoy this episode with Andrew Size of Lost Draw Sellers, and hopefully we'll be back to normal very soon. Peace. Building Something Out of Nothing is brought to you by Lift Fund. For over 25 years, Lift Fund has backed entrepreneurs who build something out of nothing by providing responsive insights and small business capital when others aren't able to. If you need help launching your passion into a reality, visit liftfund.com today. Building Something Out of Nothing is brought to you by Geekdom. Geekdom is the largest co-working space in the city with the focus of building downtown San Antonio one startup at a time. Visit geekdom.com today to schedule a free tour. What's up, guys? This is Eddie Laughlin, co-founder of Shotgun House Coffee Roasters, and you're listening to Building Something Out of Nothing, a small business podcast right here in San Antonio. Today's guest is Andrew Sides, co-founder of Lost Draw Sellers in Fredericksburg, Texas. We sit down at the Geekdom Audio Lab and chat about Andrew's family roots in farming and the founding of the company, the Fredericksburg wine boom and how the industry has grown, how they landed on a location right in the middle of town, the early days of the winery and growing their customer base, getting into larger retailers like HEB and Whole Foods, and how Andrew went from being an engineer in San Antonio to founding and operating one of the premier wineries in Texas. Enjoy. Um, do you have a chance to look at this stuff? Yeah, actually, it was I was up there. I've been here for like thirty minutes. I was okay. in that little uh, room where they were doing a little presentation with chairs and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Guess yeah. It's the like a uh, I've been over there too. We did a, actually we did a live podcast in there. Uh, but yeah, so about you, you ten until I was like, well, well, I don't think they're like about to bring me on for anything. So I better start asking around like okay. where I need to go. That's pretty. Funny. So that, that's how I found you. But you know. Uh, Chris Brundrit from Morning yeah, Chris. he's a good friend of mine. Are y'all like so? Y'all buddies? Is that what the deal is? Yeah, yeah, we're we're friends. Uh, I when when I was first started in like the wine industry, or we, it was just growing grapes right. uh, on family property. Come from a line of farmers, uh, families been growing cotton, peanuts. Yes, all that peanuts. For, and stuff. that's cool. For generations, and then 2005 is when my uncle actually kind of ventured into grape growing. And, and why do you do that? Honestly, it's just like cotton prices were pretty bad. Like okay. we were running out of water for peanuts. It was and, kind of a necessity thing. Diversify and a bit. I mean, there it didn't hurt that the like in 2003 is when Texas finally passed the law that wineries could sell direct to consumer. That was a big oh, bill that okay. passed. That and makes so, sense. So that just uh, happened. Yeah, pretty recently. I guess it's been 17 years now. But okay. that's really when the the wine industry in Texas really started kind of kicking off for cool. sure. Um, and then. We didn't really know what we were doing at first, but we right. knew that we were good farmers, and our our family's always been pretty successful farming. And my uncle's always been pretty a pretty big innovator in farming, and 
he started growing grapes and I think everybody thought he was going crazy, but yeah, um, it was something that, you know, there's been grapes being planted and grown in the high plains, that area f- since the eighties, but most of it, had, most of the farms had kind of, had kind of dwindled off just because it was so hard for wineries to make a profit without being in wholesale. And right. so they had to have the fruit so cheap that it was just such an undertaking for sense. farming. Well, yeah. Plus aren't, aren't grapes like kind of hard to grow and they're delicate. They, they're actually super hardy. So okay. like, uh, it's just the weather in Texas and especially in the high plains where we're at is it's pretty, uh, it's pretty intense. And, on any given year, there's just so many different uh, weather factors that we encounter, and but that's what makes it kind of uh, it's kind of fun at the same time and and challenging and and such a learning experience. And wine's very generational, and right every uh, aspect of it has been since the since wine was being being made. And so just figuring out how to grow in your climates like the most key thing for the success of an industry yeah it's cool and uh that's that's where we're kind of we're at right now like we're really at kind of this not really a crossroads but we've finally come to a place where there's there's a lot of vineyard acreage in the high plains and even in the hill country yeah Um, and i say the high plains in the hill country those are the two largest avas in texas and about 80 percent of the grapes all that are planted planted in the, in Texas are in the high plains. That's um, what I thought. It was something like that. And so there's so many wineries that are in this area, you know, the hill country area, that source fruit from from up there. So yeah. it's a pretty unique situation. But it's not different than other places in in the country and world. I mean, there's a lot of places that have small rural farming areas that grow the grapes, and then they get transported to a different place to, for the wine to be made and sold and it's generally around you know more populated areas so if someone travels out to fredericksburg and they'll go you know they can go to lost draw but they can also go to william chris Webb oh Review, absolutely vineyards like that and they actually a lot of those source their grapes or for certain wines from from you guys out in the high plains yeah we still so we we farm three different vineyard sites in the high plains um close to 200 acres total about 30 plus varieties um, we don't use all the varieties for our own production, but we okay. s- we still sell a lot of, of fruit to other wineries. In fact, probably sixty percent of the fruit that we grow is actually gets um, goes to other wineries. S- gets sold to other wineries, and all all in Texas. And uh, we've we've had the luxury of getting pretty, uh, I guess, selective on on wineries that we're selling to ones that we think that are doing a really good job, really pushing the bar for the industry. Right, um, right. So and, you don't you kind of pay attention to. Oh, for sure. We're very prideful. We feel like we're, you know, growing some of the best fruit in in the state and we want it to get into good hands so that we can continue to push the industry forward. It's Well, it makes sense. After I talked to William Chris, uh, they take such pride in what they do. And so when they had mentioned you, and I know he's partnering with you on on the the canned rosé and stuff like that, Uh but I feel like they wouldn't, they just wouldn't associate with you and buy grapes from you and, and talk so highly of you and partner with you if lost draw wasn't so great sure and and that's how i met chris is we were i was actually probably i don't know 21 22 at the time when, mm-hmm. and i was in college and i used the vineyard as a a way to make money like i'd grown up working on the family farm and that's kind of how i made money to buy my first truck and like do things but when i okay. got to college it was very similar like i came back we were close enough proximity to to school that I could still work in the vineyards and still, you know, make kind of 
the, the stuff you make enough money to do the things you need to in college. How uh, far is the vineyard from, like, Texas Tech? It's probably like a 35-minute drive. Okay. So, so it's outside of Lubbock. Yeah, okay. it's it's south in Brownfields, small okay. town where I grew up. Cool. Um, main industry is farming. Okay. And, yeah, that's uh, how I got into it. I met Chris because he, uh, he was actually working for another – he hadn't started William Chris yet. But oh, he so was, he wasn't in Fredericksburg yet? No, he, he was in the Fredericksburg area. So he okay. graduated, I guess, from A&M yeah. and was working for as a winemaker for another winery and had come out there to try to find some fruit because okay. he's always had a very you know, strong passion to use Texas fruit and all of all the programs and wines that he's been making. So um, that's how I met him. And then over time, uh, just came became very encouraged to... Uh, to start making our own wine from our own fruit. And, yeah, that's dope. Um, we had gotten a lot of notoriety from other wineries. So he helped kind of encourage you to do that? Oh, for sure. That's he cool. was uh, between him and uh, an, another winemaker in Texas, Kim McPherson, out of oh, Lubbock. Yeah. They yeah. were buying a ton of fruit from us as well. And the two of those guys probably are the biggest mentors and, and uh, biggest reason that we started making wine under our own label, for sure. That's awesome. So... Yeah, I want to talk about the founding a little bit. It's kind of complicated because there's there's three people involved, all of the same sure, family, sure. Uh, one through marriage. So it was founded by you, Andy Timmons. So you're the winemaker. Correct. He's, Andy's the grape grower. That's right. Um, and then Troy Otmers, is that how yeah. you say that, is the like the landowner, correct? Yeah, so it's super interesting uh, <laughs> way that we all came together. Obviously, um, Troy is my father-in-law, and so... I met him through my wife, and he's always been a great entrepreneur, um, had his own business in Fredericksburg um, okay. that he took over from his dad, who had it, his dad took it over from his dad, but they had a golf distribution um, business in Fredericksburg, and kind of that. the historic, like, really industrial area of Fredericksburg, um, and they got some really fascinating stories, and they've, that, that property's seen, like, the true development and the... Oh, yeah the change of the landscape across Fredericksburg. That's and interesting. It was actually kind of outside of town when they started it, but uh, there was a railroad spur that, that serviced a peanut deshelling plant, a cotton delining plant, uh, multiple um, oil and gas distribution um, businesses, and then, you know, basically transported them all over the state. And they were a really large distributor of oil and gas in the hill hill country but he uh, sold his business in 2008 and kept that family property there that was in town um it wasn't like super valuable property but i think for troy it was more sentimental like it had been in his family since the 20s and And was that property the one where the winery's at or the one where the tasting room is now at so it's it's now both. So Uh, the winery and the tasting room are both on that property. Okay. But it's a very uh historic area like the buildings that were there when we first decided to uh to take over the that property and, and actually put the winery there uh two of them were from the 1930s so wow talking about some really old really cool you were know you able to kind of hang on to the structure oh for sure and that That's was awesome. like one of the the main things that we wanted to do is uh if you know my father-in-law he's like very invested in like like tradition and and, yeah. and things that that have been built and the way that things were there. Like I wanted to make sure that even though we were really repurposing the the entire property sure. um, and, and making a winery and tasting room that had to be very tasteful for guests, but also I wanted to really try to 
kind of implant those like rich traditions. And so we, we repurposed uh, one of the old tire and battery um, shops that was for the distribution trucks. Okay. Um, and that's where the main tasting room was. So, And around what year was this that all this was going down? It's about 2012. Okay. So 11 is when we really decided to do it. To like, like to, make the leap and, and do it. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, I tell people all the time, like when I'm telling the story of like how we all got started, it's it's pretty fascinating. Like I graduated from Texas Tech with a civil engineering degree. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in agriculture. Um, it was super big part of my life growing up and I think my family like agriculture and farming was really kind of in a downturn like when I was graduating and I, yeah. I really think that my family was pushing me hard to like get out of agriculture sure. like, go money do something elsewhere. else yeah. like let's like just because we've done this for multiple generations doesn't mean that you need to stick Still around here in, yeah. in brownfield and and grow cotton and just like like you know scratch your Struggle. head together yeah. yeah so they uh kind of pushed me like not to just go do something else but I they I was very strongly encouraged to like f- find something to do that's uh could get me kind of out of the the farming uh wheel and you ended up doing more farming yeah it's kind of <laughs> funny but it, it's kind of it's great in the same way like I, I worked as a civil engineer here in San Antonio for five years oh wow cool and I stayed very tied into the industry and what was going on mm-hmm. I was always like very passionate about like the the grapes and the vineyard because I felt like I, it was something that I helped start. Mm-hmm. And so I always wanted to kind of like stay in tune with it, stay in touch with it, see what was going on. And it just so happened that we were selling still, Andy was still selling a ton of fruit to the wineries that were right in kind of our backyard an hour yeah. and a half away. So, you know, I'd call them from time to time be like, Hey, I want to go check in on some, some wineries like that we're selling fruit to, like, where should I go? And he was sending me to places that we were st- like the family, you know, was still selling fruit to. And so, uh, kind of stayed very in, in touch and in tune with those guys and, and maintained a pretty good relationship with Chris more than anyone else right. of the guys that I had met previous previous to this. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. It was just, you know, you get to that point, I guess, and for me in my life, I was like sitting there and, and working as an engineer and it was a very re- rewarding job in some respects, but at the same time, I just kind of always had that entrepreneurial spirit. And yeah. Like, this was kind of in the back was, of your head. Yeah. It was in the back of my mind. It was like, this is something, you know, and I joked with Andy when I was working for him at college, I was like, you know, I'm just going to stick around here. I don't need to graduate and yeah. do all this stuff. Like this you is, enjoy this doing is it. That stuff, yeah. yeah. This, like I can stay here and do this. He's like, no, he's like, I promise this will always be here. And I think that's, and cool. I think you, you should go off. The yeah. Thing. He's like, yeah. I think you should go like, you know, do do life try uh try something else like go you know figure it out kind of you'll regret it if you would have just jumped right into the wine and probably absolutely and and i really respect him a lot for that for like kind of pushing me down that that avenue and and making sure that you know i think he knew like in the back of his mind that there would always be the opportunity if i like wanted to and so 2011 it was only two years after i graduated i was like Hey, I, I think we we should really think about opening something here, and and you could kind of see what was going on in the area at the time. Like, there was just like just, when did that boom kind of start for the the wineries in Fredericksburg? Because we've been going there for seventeen years, twenty years. Sure, uh, my parents own property in Fredericksburg, so we've kind of seen that grow up as well. Um, to, to the point now where it's just, I mean, they're all over the place. They're on high. They're everywhere. Yeah, I would say like. 2008 2009 uh right after maybe just just after that like right after the you know the market really tanked in 2008 and 9 but then 
when it started picking back up, like it was kind of like perfect timing. I think yeah. people that were living in San Antonio and Austin, even Dallas, like they were looking for things to do, places to travel that didn't cost, you know, a plane flight and, and you could didn't need to go all the way out to Napa. Yeah. You know, this is right in the kind of backyard for everyone, you know, a few hours away for people in Houston. And um, people really started to travel out to the hill country and the wine scene just kind of naturally evolved in that way. I, and you I could think, feel, you could kind of see that happening. Yeah. You, you could like, kind of see the this. traffic happening. Yeah. Um, and, and my in-laws lived in Fredericksburg. And so, I mean, I talked to them all the time um, and they always talked about it and, and just how much um, industry was, the industry was really starting to kind of flourish because of wine. And, and it, it's always been a tourist town for sure, but it's yeah. mainly you know, predicated on shopping sure. and, and like just the kind of a Museum, quiet little stuff, getaway yeah. town, a place to get out of out of the city. Um, but we're, really, it just it became a destination for wine, and yeah. I saw it happening. And you know, the wheels started turning in my head. I'm like, you know, we we have the some of the, you know, and I go out to these wineries, and everyone's really advertising like Lostraw Vineyards fruit. Yeah, uh, and and it we was, are Lostraw. Why don't we just yeah? Yeah, and I was like, you know, I, and I called my uncle one day. I was like man, you, you wouldn't realize, like, I went to three wineries today, and, like, all three of them that you sent me to that were, they're really, like, marketing the vineyard, and they're really proud of the fact that they're getting grapes from the vineyard, and I was like, you know, I think that, uh, I think we should capitalize on it, and, like, I think that there's a way that we can really kind of not cut out the middleman, because, you know, without them and the establishment of, you know, they actually started marketing the fruit, especially William Chris, they, they yeah were the biggest marketers of vineyards from the very beginning. And like, I'll stand behind that for probably for the rest of my wine growing and making careers. They really pushed the bar as far as really trying to focus and really market the places where the grapes are being grown and not yeah. so much just like come taste our wine because it's great. It's like right. our wine is great because it is grown here uh-huh. and it is interesting and unique because it is, you know, grown in this place. And th- that's like, was one of the most fascinating things to me and why Chris and I are so aligned, like from a just intellectual and uh, we had very sim- similar values and ideals of, of how like the industry should grow and could grow. And, and seeing that really kind of really kind of lit a fire under me, like okay, like we can, that's cool. We can do something here. I like, feel like this there is... was also like those right when everything started to really pop up, and not everything had to be high quality, and so there was some not so good wine too. Oh, absolutely. Um, and that was that was really what you saw a lot of, just like yeah, just kind of lower quality. No one really cared. They were doing it just for the money, like trying to capitalize on something, and that was it. Absolutely, um, and yeah. it's it's part of what I think set set the industry back a bit is. Uh, you look at other other places in the country even that are that are growing grapes and really starting to establish themselves as new like wine growing regions domestically, and most of them are are like start day one marketing their area their regions yeah. and and I think that that Fredericksburg and the Hill Country almost had the crutch of the traffic, and so they had so many people that were coming yeah. out there that it didn't have to be about that as much because you could still make it. Like, mm-hmm. you could still make bad, mediocre wine. But if you had a really cool, nice place and somewhere to, like, you know, have live music going on and everything, uh, people would still come out there and do it. But the problem is it was very empty. Like, people would go, and it's like that one-and-done feel. Like, sure. we're going to go out there and just, like, check it off the list. But it, it wasn't, like, something that people, like, 
came and like really invested time, like trying to get to know these regions and these, yeah. these different locations where wine's being grown here in Texas. And, and so a lot of people were turned off by that. So we have people that come in weekly that have, that came six, seven, eight years ago to right. the hill country. And they're like, you know, I went out to the hill country and I tasted, you know, wine at four places. And there was, was like impressed. two yeah. wines that were like drinkable. Okay. Yeah. And you know what? It took them six years to come back. Yeah. And so like, they're finally like, they've, they've like, People just have told them like, "Yo, you got to go back. You got to try it." And well, that's what you mean by growing it, the industry in a healthy yeah, way, in a it, positive way. And it's and it took them so long to come back that it's just it almost set us back. Yeah, and and it almost gives a that like idea of skepticism for people that go out the first time. It's like they're not excited necessarily when they come out because they've tried it before or they had a bad experience at some point. That's really but interesting. it's something that we're really overcoming now yeah. and. I think it's, I mean, it's super, super important for all of us to be successful, for all of us to make quality wine. And that's why, like, for the last, you know, five or six years, it's it's been so not a competitive feeling in, in this industry at all. It's yeah. been very, like, like, collaborative. Like, we need to figure out how to market our region and how to, like, get to the consumer and really introduce, like, what we're doing and why it's different than Napa and Washington and Oregon and get them to come out and drink our wine because it's grown in Texas and made in Texas and not just because it's like a cool place to come on the weekend with your girlfriends. Yeah. And so that's like the the big thing that's kind of the the big challenge right now is is really kind of being more like making an impact from a a standpoint of getting people to come out and drink wine and experience wine for the right reasons and make them, you know, lifelong fans of what we're doing and not just weekend fans. Absolutely. Um, so I want to go back to, you said, so in 2011, is that what it was? Mm-hmm. You told him that you wanted to, you saw this was on the cusp, on the brink of being something big. So did you quit your job and, and just say, no, Let's not gonna... in, initially. And I was ready to like, I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit. Like we're going to, let's go get some property. Like, like, yeah. let's do so this. You were, you were ready to go. <laughs> and at the, at first it was, it was really just my my uncle and I. Like I had called him. Like my my father in law really, at this point, I can't. I kind of think he saw like the what was going on. Like he, in in me, like sure. really being interested in this and wanting to do it. But at that time, like there was never really talk of of him being involved in it. And you know, we looked around and I talked to my uncle. Like, where should we get it? Where should we, you know, buy some land and let's start a winery? And I mean, prices at that time had already started. I mean, landowners had already like caught on to the fact that like, yep. you know what, this is like cash grab. Like we're, yeah. if we hang on to this property, somebody's going to come in want to buy a, a, build a winery. And then prices really started skyrocketing in 11, 12, 13. And that's about the time we were wanting to yeah. kind of kick it off. Yeah. And so, I mean, we looked around and looked around and even like, I mean, actually went and looked at, at properties and tried to like figure out financially how we could like kick it off and get it started. And, I think finally, like my father-in-law realized he was like, I, this is going to happen. Like, yeah. I just, I just need, like, I think he finally was like, okay, like this isn't a pipe dream. That's like going to die off. Like he's going to do this. They're yeah. going to do this. And he finally stepped in. He's like, you know, I have the property in town that nothing has happened on for three years. He's like, let's take a look at it. And so I invited my uncle up and I was like, Hey, let's, you know, my father-in-law has got this property in town, and and I think Andy was even kind of skeptical, 
skeptical at the time. He's like, well, it's in town. I don't know if that's going to really work. That's what like, I would think. You don't see a lot of them in town. That's and, interesting. And so we were like, well, let's let's just look at it. And so we went in and we looked at it and and I I mean I'd been to that property you know a dozen times and never even like once considered or thought about like oh we could put a winery here sure but we looked at it and you, we started kind of thinking you know there's there's not really there's so many options you know that people drive out and 290 had already been kind of flooded with wineries at the mm-hmm. time and we looked around and and said you know I I was you know I did construction and engineering for multiple years prior to this and so I could kind of like you always visualize like okay if I was going to do this how would I do it and right. what would look good and how would we start it and and we didn't make every right decision I'll tell you that but I kind of like just started thinking about it and and started saying you know we could we could renovate this building and make it a tasting room we could renovate this and and make it the startup winery and we could really put a really cool courtyard area here and it just kind of like we literally went and had lunch and we're like writing ideas out on a napkin and it, it sounds so cliche, but like, that's what we were doing. And how many acres is that plot of land? So it's actually right over one acre. So I was about to, so it's, it's on Adams, right? Is that yeah, what I'm it's, thinking it's of? Right Adams across Street. from H-E-B? It's right behind H-E-B. Yeah. And that's like the landmark that we give everyone like, yeah, it's right behind H-E-B. But what's really cool about it is it works because it's not on main street. Yeah. And it's kind of hidden, um, and it's, you know, all the locals call it their hidden gem. But, oh, no, it's awesome. I, I love it. But yeah. what's really unique about it is I think people that come to our place, they come with intention because it's not something they stumble upon. Sure. So they've heard about us, or someone's recommended it, and they've said, you, know, you got to go to this place, Lost Draw. It's in town. Yeah. It's a little different. And, and it's really odd because when we first started, like, we could, like, we couldn't even get tour companies to come to us. They're like, no, we got to take people out to the vineyards out on 290. And they thought that's what people wanted. Oh, to yeah. Go they out on like the go track. out on, yeah. the, on the trail. And what's funny is like they're, most of the vineyards that are around the wineries on 290 aren't even producing vineyards. They're just kind of like a showpiece. Right. And there are some that are. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't discount some of the, the wines that are actually produced off of the vineyard property, but most of the small little vineyards and vines that you see around the wineries on 290 aren't even like wine, like producing vineyards they're just kind of there for show but people like to see that yeah so we couldn't even get the tour companies to come to us at first but that's interesting what's what really really kicked us off and what like i will always kind of tip my hat to is the community of fredericksburg that's cool um and a lot of that was my father-in-law is he's been in the in and around the community served served in the community in so many different facets of the community and so we really kind of had the the rallying support of not only like the people in the industry, because we had sold fruit to all these guys in the wine business that were like super excited that we're like, hey, there's going to be another like real deal winery coming in. And so they sent us people and the community really got behind us and made it made it a really cool destination. And and it's so unique. It's un, it's unlike any of the places that you'll go it is. see out on the trail. But uh, one thing that we really instilled from our very early on is is that the wines were always going to be about the farming and that's cool. the hard work and the dedication that we've put into farming is why we're here that's why we're doing it and i think it really caught on and it's something that like i'm very proud of because it was like i, th- I think when you start a business and you have a product you have to distinguish yourself in in some way yeah and you always have this idea of like oh it's going to be easy to sell because of this or this but that was one that 
I think when we always made it about the fact that we grow the grapes that were that are it's huge in yeah. these wines, it, it became very important for people, and they they really liked that, and and it's still something that that we try to really really talk about, like while we're doing tastings and making the experience about the farming and and about the passion for growing grapes and making wine and. And I think it's what really has made us successful is is people yeah. really feel that. And they know that when they have a bottle of our wine, it was it was very intentional. It wasn't just something we, you know, grew, fermented and put into a bottle and put a slapped a label on it and are trying to sell it well, to you. They yeah. know that like, we're doing it for the right reason. You for didn't the, just grab a lot of reason. grapes wholesale randomly and, well, I guess we can make wine out of these. You, right. Yeah, there was a lot of intention that went into it. Did you feel like you, you had said um, up to that point before you wouldn't even open, you had been selling your grapes to a lot of other of the popular vineyards around uh, Fredericksburg, did you feel like you had a little bit of name recognition from that? Um, did you see that in the beginning, people coming in because oh, Lostra opened their own place? Oh, absolutely, and and that goes back to to Andy and and his dedication to like anytime Andy's been involved in farming, and I've watched it from when I was a kid to teenagers to when he was trying to put together you know a, a peanut co-op and a, a just all through different facets of farming. Like he has put his blood, sweat and tears and his life mission was always to be the best at growing whatever he was oh, doing. Oh yeah. They're passionate about it. And so sure. like, I mean, and that's what really inspired me too is, is like, you know, this is the first product that, that we've been able to grow from an agricultural standpoint that we actually interact with the consumer that's, that's getting the product. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting in that facet, but it's, it's very, uh, it's rewarding in the same way. It's, he always has the joke, and and I say this at wine dinners and stuff that I talk at all the time, but he's like, you know, for 20 years I grew cotton, and never once did anybody come and shake my hand and slap me on the back yeah. and say, man, thanks for growing that That's cotton great so cotton, well. Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it really feels good when I put on that shirt. That's funny. But with wine, you're standing across the, the bar or the table, Experience. sitting at the table yeah. with someone that's literally, you know, they're drinking something that you, you grew and produced, and so... It's uh, it's rewarding in that way, and I think the passion for that and being a part of the farming has really like trickled down. I mean, we started with two employees when we opened Lost Straw, and now we have over twenty. That. Okay, and it's like one of our company values is that it will always be about the farming, and the experience is is always important. And we never want anyone to come into the tasting room and leave without knowing like or feeling our passion for that. And so it's it's really worked. And so when you first opened you said you had two employees. What does that mean? Were you one of like you hired two other people? Yeah. So we actually had and and that's the trickiest thing. Like you hire employees when you start a business and yeah. and don't really have like a real set like ideas of like this is your job description sure. and these are the things that we need you to do. Yeah, like you kind of just, yeah. you have this like meeting, you have these meetings that are like, Hey, we should try this or we should try this. And it's like, well, let's, let's give it a shot, you know? Yeah. And then, but I mean, and that's not the best way to start a business. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, it, it takes, you know, people that were willing to kind of like go out on a limb with us and, and figure it out. And, um, you know, it's, without them like being willing to kind of do that, uh, we wouldn't be where we, where we are now. And, um, uh, I started when I started working for the winery or working with the winery, we, I wasn't even getting a paycheck. I was just doing it like on the side. Like right. I still had my engineering job and, uh, really kind of started taking less and less work with that because the winery was kind of starting to 
turning a little bit and starting to grow. And so uh, I actually worked for about a year and a half as with the winery after, not before we opened, but it took about a year and a half after we decided like, hey, we're going to start a winery to yeah. before I finally like quit my full-time engineering job okay. and, and worked full-time with the with the winery. That's cool. Um, you, you, you're the winemaker, so those very early iterations of wine, did you know how to make wine? Were you trying to fi- figuring this out, like kind of as you went? You know, you had oh, quality grapes, so that was good. Yeah, definitely figuring it out. It's and man, it it wasn't always it wasn't always. So there was the best. there were some yeah. bad versions at first. Yeah, and and a lot of and that's where I tip my hat um, to Kim McPherson and to to Chris Brundrett because cool. they really pulled me under their wing and and I started making wine before we were even open or really even started thinking about opening just out of their facilities. Okay. And so we were selling them fruit already, but I was like, Hey, I want to make a little, a wine, like a barrel of wine. Like, yeah, can show you help me, me do some stuff. Can yeah. you help me figure it out? And, and don't get me wrong. They put me to work. They're like, Oh, you want to come work for free yeah. and like yeah. go through some harvest? I'll show with you us? this, like, but you got to yeah, help me out. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they kind of put me through the, the ringer on that, but I mean, it's, I mean, that's what you got to do. It's good like, stuff to know. You got anyway. to yeah. get in into it and unless you're doing it and, going through the process and being there every day and every night and going through, I mean, harvest is, that's when all of the, that's work. Man. That's when, that's when the winemaking happens. Right. And it's the most crucial time in a wine's life, but it's also when you learn the most is, is what to do when, and you know, different, when different fruit chemistry comes in, you know, how, how you treat the wine and, and what you do to ferment it and to make it good. And so, uh, I really tip my hat to those guys for, you know, they didn't have to do what they did. They didn't have to help me out, but you know, we had built such a relationship with them from growing fruit and yeah, selling them fruit them, yeah. that they were, they were willing to do it and, and happy to do it. And, uh, we still, you know, use a lot of methodology and, and things that, that they, you know, kind of instilled in our practices very early on, but, uh, we kind of do our own thing now too. So it's yeah, no, I feel like it's probably yeah. evolved over the years yeah, for sure. Yeah. But you had those core principles and probably, mm-hmm. probably also with both of those, they're quality winemakers. They were thinking to improve this industry. Let's teach someone, you know, that's just starting how to, sure, how to, sure. you know, make good wine and have integrity about it and things like that. Um, so you opened up, took a second to get going, but it was finally kind of catching on a little bit. Were you just selling, you know, like a tasting room, bottles of wine from, the tasting room and the winery, doing tours, things like that. Were you selling, you know, wholesaling to restaurants or getting into at retailers at this point, or did that take a few years? Oh, uh, that definitely took some time. And the first year, our first vintage was 2012. Okay, so actually a really good year in Texas, and so we got really yeah. fortunate with some the red fruits that we produced that year were really good, and and that always helps. Like when your when your product is pretty good, and people are like taking a shot on coming to your place and trying your wine, and when it when it's surprisingly good to them, they're yeah. like, wow, this is actually good. And, Especially and your that, first go-around. That definitely helps, and, and it helps to at least establish a little bit of name value um, from the beginning. But, uh, yeah, we made 400 cases of wine in 2012. Okay. Um, I don't even think we sold them all that, that first year. <laughs> and then at 13, we really were planning on ramping up pretty heavily but had a horrible crop in the vineyard just due, due to some late freezes Yeah. Uh, that wiped out a big portion of our our vineyard so, so what does that do so we got we got freezing temperatures like really cold like in the mid to mid 20s in in may okay um and in may generally all of the all of the grapes have have experienced bud break so they've yeah. all basically bloomed and and then it's just like any other fruit crop once the 
the fruit blooms, if you get a freeze, it all dies. So we lost about 85% of our crop that year. And it almost like, I, I hate to say it, like from the vineyard side, it was terrible, like for the vineyard business. But for us, I think it was a blessing in disguise because we had made plans to go like really big that year. Yeah. And it kind of, it kind of forced us to like take a step back, be like, we we're actually going to open that. Like, so we started produ- producing wine in, in 12, but they're red. So uh, generally it takes about 18 months to have a red ready. And okay. so we were going to, we were really going to push it and open in the tasting room in 13. But because of that freeze, we actually kicked it to 14. And really it was kind of perfect timing because it, it did truly allow me to, kind of closed the book on my previous job and opened this new chapter uh, for the winery and really dedicate time and energy into not just like getting the winery open, which is sure. like up to that point, it was just like, what do we got to do to get this thing yeah, open? But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, no, we actually need to make really good wine and figure out how we're going to sell it. Because okay. that's the the main thing is like, it's really easy to make good quality wine when you have good fruit, but I mean, it's always a challenge to sell it and differentiate yourself in the market. Yeah. Um, so figuring out how you're especially do that in a booming time, industry yeah. like that, there's there's so many good options for people to, to go. At that time, they were they were just going, they were going up everywhere. And did that give you like a sense of sense of urgency, like you were talking about? You were trying to get open. Was it because you just saw everyone opening? You know, every other month, basically. Yeah, and it is just it takes it's such a long process, and it and, is. You and I tell wait, people yeah. in in. The wine industry, if I've learned anything, it's you have to be patient. And, and it really has taught me a lot of patience. That's not one of my like strong suits, sure. to be honest. But it was really That's not an entrepreneur's forced, strong suit. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of really forced me to be that way because for one, it takes so long to from you know, grapes that we picked this year, we're not gonna actually serve for two years. And okay. in the same way, when you're trying to open a business, you have to you make the investment two years prior to having any cash flow coming in if you think about that it's just like a kind of a mind-blowing exercise why would anybody do it yeah yeah, yeah. think about like so you mean i actually make all of this investment and then can't like the first chance i'll have to actually have income coming in is in two years right i mean you give that to any investment guy and they're like no that's probably not going to work right but i mean that's what i mean the wine industry i think is the biggest thing that people have to realize is it's it's not you're it's not a get get rich scheme like if you're getting into the wine industry to make money and and get rich and retire early like you're getting into the wrong place would you it's, say i mean that's with it's a most... passion passion driven industry so it's a lifestyle type it is thing. It's, yeah. it's like you have to be doing this because it's like something that really interests you and really drives you and being a part of the industry for me and helping grow this new industry is like really what makes me tick. It's like, obviously we have to make enough money to sustain our business and to grow it and to continue to push the bar in that realm. But if you're not passionate about growing grapes and making wine and and trying to really push the industry of Texas and make Texas wine mean something, then you're probably in it for the wrong reasons because it's not, it's not something that you can just dip your toe in or throw a bunch of money at and it'll work out. It's, it's something that you got to put a lot of time and effort and energy into growing. For yeah. Sure. So you were forced to kind of pump the brakes a little bit, slow down. Uh, that freeze happened, all that, and then uh, you said in 2014 is when that that red was kind of ready. You pushed it to that. Um, what was kind of the point where you were like, okay, you know, things are kind of getting going. I see different avenues for you know bringing in 
revenue and profits and things like that. Um, when did you start to think like, I think that, you know, we're going to make it, it's going to be okay. Yeah. When, when we decided we actually needed to hire like two more people to, okay. To, for the amount of people we had coming into the tasting room on a Saturday. Oh yeah. And it's, it's funny when we first started, like we'd have, we'd have Saturdays where we'd see, you know, eight customers or sure. eight couples. And so there were those days. Oh yeah. Oh, they were there for sure. And then it, those are the days where you like go home and you're like, man, what am I doing? Like, did I just ruin <laughs> yeah, my life? Why yeah. did I just get into this thing. But finally, you know, probably I would say the summer of 15, it really started to kind of not take off. Like it, it we've pretty, always had this pretty quick two, three yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've always, we really have experienced steady growth and it's been kind of a blessing, but in 15, we finally, we're starting to get a lot of people that were like joining our wine club, which is really big. Okay. Um, really seeking after our wines coming in because they heard like, man, we heard that you guys had this great Tempranillo or this, you know, great wine. That, and this that was all word of mouth stuff. About. You weren't yeah. in HEBs or anything yet. No, no, okay. we didn't. We didn't start wholesaling until about three years ago. Okay. Okay. So cool. it's uh yeah about fifteen is when I was we actually started. I kind of went through an inventory sheet like late summer and I was like, wow, I actually actually think we're going to be like short on wine. We're going to like sell out at this, this pace. And, and that was actually kind of an aha moment too. It's like, man, we've been working so hard to like get to this point when we're like, all right, we're there. But it's like, now the new challenge is like, okay, now what do we do? We, we have, we have a need to fill. Like we got to get, more we we'll have to make the decision to buy more fruit to make more wine and, and we need to ramp up a little bit yeah, because to ramp the, up so yeah the demand is there were you making most of your money from doing like the saturday tastings and the tours and stuff like that or was it from like selling a bottle of wine yeah 100 percent. and and i worked and my wife will tell you you know that the winery like i was there seven the days a week sure yeah, selling wine but i mean that's that's part of it and, and people really were attached to our brand because they did get to to be there with the owners, the winemaker. Oh yeah, that's a um, that's a big deal. To every people. day that yeah. they came in, and and I don't want to do that anymore. Um, it is nice to have a little bit more of a work life balance now, um, but early on, it, it that's what it took to to really like push. I mean, no one knows the wines and our methods and our passion like me. Right, and no one's gonna be able to sell them like you. Talk about yeah, them like and, you, yeah. And Troy's the same way. He's you know he's was that way with his business prior to the winery and. Uh, we were there all the time, every every day. Um, and that was around 2015. You were just constantly there. Yeah. Um, were you having fun at that time, or was it like kind of stressful? Was it a mixed ma- ma- mash of both? I mean, you always had your like the highs and lows. I mean, it's it's fun at the end of the day to be like, man, we we killed it. You know, that was yeah. that was awesome. Like, you know, we really and and not from just revenue standpoint, but like, it's the most rewarding thing when people come in and they're like, wow, this is you know, some of the best wine that I've had and and not just, not the, you know, we get the, this, the, all the time we get people that come in like, wow, this is actually good for Texas wine. Yeah. And, and when they, when they stop saying that and it's more like, wow, this is just really good wine. Yeah. It's, it's like really rewarding and, and to have, you know, there's, there were Saturdays where, you know, you go through the lows and you don't have a whole lot of customers and don't do great. But then there's the Saturdays where it's, everybody comes in and like loves what you're doing, loves the story, buys bunch of wine and you're like man this is awesome so it's a roller coaster for sure but yeah 2015 is when it it really really kind of started taking off a little bit that's cool um do you ever run into just out of curiosity i mean i know it's always good customers coming in and stuff like that were there any like big time hurdles that you hit uh 
I don't know, with you know, you'd mentioned the freeze with the production and stuff like that, where there were ever just like moments where you were like, oh shit, basically, like this is a this is a big deal. We have to kind of figure it out. Or has it been pretty much smooth sailing with you know a little bit of highs and lows? Well, from the vineyard standpoint, it's never smooth sailing. Right. I mean, growing grapes in Texas is it's not an easy feat or easy venture. That's a good point. We just we go through every single year is different in the vineyard, but I think it's what makes you know that's what's so beautiful about wine and every vintage is different. Um, yeah, that's cool. But we've in the I guess seven vintages that Lost Straws had from a growing standpoint for our, for our own label. I'm, We've we've experienced late freezes. We've had, you know, a, a heat spike last year that was the hottest temperature that the uh, that it was actually a record. We've had rain rain for a month during the harvest season. They're growing the most crucial time for the plant. We've had these thunderstorms, tornado. We get hail and and so late it's spring. all sorts of weather it's stuff just, happening. I mean, yeah. there's nowhere else in the world that grows grapes that experiences such vast temp like weather yeah uh, tumultuous weather yeah and not that that's that anybody should feel sorry for us i mean we chose this but i mean it is it makes it makes our vintages very different yeah and that's cool it makes the wines from year to year very different even if it's the same same uh piece of you know same vineyard same variety the wine could be completely different. It's kind of exciting year to year you never know what what it's going to taste like until it's happens that's vintage variation is like so important, I think, for and people to understand that you, it's you okay. You talk about that? Oh, for sure. That's really interesting, actually. Yeah. Vintage variation in, in Texas. And I mean, you know, there's parts of France, you know, they're, that's the reason that some vintages are just so, so much highly, they're so sought after is, yeah, is uh, the variation and some are better than others. If we we're making a product, Definitely. it's, it's not beer, it's not a recipe driven product. Like you don't just put a bunch of stuff into a tank, let it ferment, and it comes out the same every of course. time. Um, but I mean, that's kind of the elegance of wine, and that's why it's so interesting to me, and that's why I love it. And it's and, so true, man. Yeah, it's a really complex and fascinating beverage. Um, so talk about getting into some of those retailers, and when you decide to make the move to wholesale and stuff like that, um, does that change a lot of your, you know, ramp, ramping up production? And do you have to hire more people? Does that really change the whole game, or is that just kind of minor little tweaks you have to make to make that happen? And was it, you know, an arduous task getting into the HEBs of the world? Oh, it's it's definitely once you like jump off the cliff of wholesale like yeah. it's a it's a whole new ball game and it's it's very interesting like i don't we don't we didn't really go in get into wholesale necessarily to like expand the business to to bring in more revenue we really went into wholesale more because i wanted to have a quality texas wine on the shelf that could reach more people yeah um i think that we kind of saw a trend in in the industry especially like until you know about two or three years ago there weren't many texas wines on the shelf at all nope and the ones that were there i mean they were kind of hit or miss like they're not gonna like blow you away from any standpoint like you're not gonna like go seek after like some wine that you had in a tasting room. most of them aren't gonna be on the shelf right but we really realized that there's there was a point where to continue to push the industry forward to really kind of keep pushing that bar i mean we're proud texans we want texas wine to be as you know, well known as anywhere else here, I agree, in, here yeah. in the U.S. And so, um, we made the decision where you know we got to get more people, more access to to our wines. And so, uh, we really ramped up production in fifteen. We we 
made the biggest jump that, that we ever did from a production standpoint, and it was to go into wholesale. And that's cool. I partnered with a local distributor actually out of out of San Antonio. So, <laughs> pretty good friend of mine opened a distribution uh, business right prior to that time. Not not really big, like a whole lot of time, but just probably six months or so. Okay. And it was mainly predicated around beer and like craft beer and local craft beer. I think I know who you're talking about. By yeah. The way. Yeah. Well, I'll say it, Tristan Maldonado with Hops and Vines. Yeah. He's, uh, I've, I've been to the facility. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they had just opened up and, uh, he, he had recognized very early on that there was kind of a hole in that market, especially in San Antonio for Texas wine. Yep. And he convinced us, he's like, I want y'all to be my first, you know, winery client and it's going to be texas and people are going to think i'm crazy and this is going to be i mean it's cool a really really hard thing but i was like you know everything that we've done to this point's just kind of been on a whim so like let's take a shot with see how it does yeah and so we we ramped up and you know we both kind of had the agreement early on that's like you know we're not gonna like we're gonna fail fast if this doesn't work sure and so and he got in there and he's a very driven guy as well and really wanted to see Texas wine kind of take the next step in, in this market. And he didn't know how to sell wine. He'd been selling beer and, and, but, uh, he did the same thing that we kind of did when we started with the winery is, is you just figured it out and through a lot of work and time on the road and meetings. And we kind of figured it out together and we got into some pretty good places around town. And I think we started turning a little, turning some heads and really once you could get our our juice in front of people and and, yep. and people to taste it um it kind of sells not that it sells itself but i mean people start understanding like wow these guys are for real they're did they're people have preconceived right notions about what texas wine was oh absolutely. and so they were like i'm not really into it you know i know what this is going to be like and then they would have it and go yeah wow this is I'm well, impressed. and yeah. and not not so much like how i could couldn't count how many meetings i went into and people love the wine but they're just they, they had the real, they know oh, the I notion see. that's like, it's going to be really hard to sell a Texas wine. I love it. It's great. But how are we going to sell it? The public's I, yeah, mindset I mean, isn't there. Yeah. I mean, everybody that drinks wine at our place, they just want Napa Cab or they want, you know, Pinot from Oregon. That makes sense. Yeah. And so they, there weren't, you know, it was, there were just places that had to take a chance on it. And we put a lot of support behind it. I learned very on in wholesale that your distributor is a partner and, uh, we have always treated that relationship that way, and it's really helped us kind of move fast through distribution. And um, once we started kind of turning turning some heads in on premise places, then we started. You know, we're like, okay, this this could work, and then really started going after retail. And that's when uh, you know Tristan had a relationship with uh, HEB prior to starting the distribution company, and that was kind of a foot in the door there. Cool. And, you know, we met with uh, with Dan and those guys at HEB, and they were big fans of what we were doing. And I don't know if I can say that. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can. Okay. But uh, uh, and they they really kind of took a chance on us, and Whole Foods was the same way. And those so are kind Whole of the, Foods, too. Those are kind of the two big retailers that we Those are the big ones, into. man. Yeah, hopped into really early. So you in Central Market? We are in Central Market as well. HEB, I guess, the same they're yeah, same, it's but they're not, also different. Yeah, yeah, it's very different, and that's th- those are just kind of nuances that you learn, like in the wholesale game, is selling your wine to the different retailers happens through a completely different process with every single one of them, and how you sell the wine to them uh, happens a very different way, and you have to learn all of those things to be successful in that that 
facet of the business and that part of the business, but we, we figured it out and we're, we don't have all the answers for sure. And it's a ever changing, but it's been successful. You've been happy with the way it has. It's It's really, it's really picked up. Um, we've added products into some retailers and we've actually, you know, had requests for more product and in some as well. So when you first started getting into the retailers and doing the wholesale, did you have like a signature product, like a, like a cab or something like that, that you, a crowd pleaser that you were selling, uh, or was it just kind of whatever you had on hand? Yeah. And, and so my idea of that was different than what I thought it would be. Um, but you know, Tempranillo was something that we were always, kind of known for it was one of the first grapes that we planted in the original yeah, vineyard I love and so it was and and you know texas kind of by hook or by crook like more or less became known for tempranillo and not that that's necessarily the best thing i don't i'm not sure if it's really the best grape for texas okay but at the time when when texas really started becoming like known for wine and people kind of associated texas with tempranillo and so uh it wasn't my my first choice I'll say like that it's like not what the plan was when we went into distribution, but people, people ask for it. And that was the the thing that kind of, kind of got us going in it. And so it's, it's our top seller in distribution. That does make sense. I've had a lot of Tempanillos from different like Texas Mm -hmm. wineries and my mom drinks them. That actually makes sense that it's just very popular around here. I mean, things have obviously gotten a lot busier. We just talked about the wholesaling and the retail and stuff like that. Obviously, the tasting room, I'm assuming, and the winery is just kind of as busy as it's ever been um, with just kind of the boom that's happening in Fredericksburg. Um, I'm very curious about, you know, you, you, this entrepreneurial lifestyle that you have. You are a a winemaker, you know, at a successful winery in Fredericksburg. What's it kind of like a day in the life like? For you, do you still work at the tasting room? Are you just kind of tasting different wines? <laughs> are you going and harvesting grapes? What are you What are you up to? Yeah, it's funny you ask. Like, I, I think people like when I tell them that I'm make wine and grow grapes and have a winery. I think they're just like, oh man, that must be the best life ever. And sure, it's. I mean, it's it is great. It's super rewarding. I have three boys now too okay, as well. Cool. So, um, it's been a a process to like really like get through the last you know several years like with young ones and trying to be a a big part of their life too which is super important to me I've always wanted to have a great relationship with all of my kids and my wife and so uh, it's it's been a challenge but the day-to-day stuff now is it's gotten it's not that it's gotten easier but everything now to this point we have like previous we've kind of gone through it all I think right and so we kind of have a a pretty good routine for things. And so, um, a lot of what I do now is um, I kind of joke with my guys cause I have two winemakers that work with me very closely That's and are cool. very much more responsible for the day to day activities sure. than I am. Uh, so they kind of joke with me. They always call me the executive winemaker cause yeah. I do most of my work from behind a desk now, but, um, and they're super talented, both of them and, and very much a part of why we, why we have been so successful in, in our programs for the last few years. But uh, I do a lot of uh, a lot of it is just trying to be the best leader. Um, yeah, it's and, a big part of your job now. And now that we have so many so many employees, it's it's um, really trying to to maintain a great attitude, like in the workplace, and not so much like the business is kind of going. Like everyone's got their roles, and everyone's flourishing in their own roles. But just trying to like make sure that people stay motivated. And I think more than anything, the most rewarding thing for me in the last four years, and I tell my guys this all the time, is just watching them succeed. Yeah, and, that's awesome. And seeing, you know, 
people that that may have just kind of come into this job as like, oh, I'll go work at a winery because it sounds fun, and now they're like really finding like a a true like career path like yeah. through like what we're doing, and seeing that happen has been super rewarding. And and for me, it's just like uh, trying to trying to be the best leader and give the most opportunities for those guys to yeah to succeed. And um, it's really made made the made going to work like the the best days for me is like when I can see that and be a part of it. How far do you live from the winery? So when I was commuting, when we first opened the winery, I lived uh, about, I lived in San Antonio. So my wife had a pretty drive though, had a really good job. She's a physical therapist here in San Antonio. And uh, we weren't, I wasn't making a whole lot of money at the winery because we were getting it going. And so she needed to keep that job for our household income to, to work. And so I made that commute for, Almost four years, I drove out to uh, Fredericksburg every da- single day. Daily, okay, every single wow. day. And you know, I tell people all the time it was it was kind of crazy because like it sounds terrible, but it was once we started having kids, it was the only like two long, hours of the day that time, I got to yeah. myself. Seriously, and once I got to work, you know, we were in it, and then once I got home, it was like I it was devoting time to kids. And so and, you were one of those. You started this business and started having kids at like the same time. Oh basically. yeah, oh, I, yeah. I have a buddy just like that. He's about to open yeah. a second restaurant. Just had a his third daughter like a year ago. Oh yeah. It's like, God, it sounds so stressful to me. Yeah, and it was. Like there was there was definitely stressful times and moments, but it it's uh it's kind of just become like second nature at this point and and just figuring out that balance and and understanding like I can turn it off and just, you know, be a dad for So an you're afternoon. good pretty good at turning it off. There's I wasn't people, at first. A lot of people like, I talk to that cannot turn it off and it's not, just yeah, always going. I really was not at first and you really have to teach yourself that yeah. and be very disciplined in it cuz I was not good at it. And so probably te- kids teach you that. Oh yeah. You got if you want to focus on them, you just have to go compartmentalize absolutely and so uh we we actually just moved to fredericksburg sweet man about a year ago and so i went from living about a hour and 10 minutes from work to about two minutes from work which is also not the best like always the best situation either but but it does make uh a lot easier when you know you get done with the wine dinner or something at night you know you're a few few minutes away it's good restaurants out there, man. It's 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 good. My my sister and her yeah. husband live out there. They run a motel that my parents own on uh, Main Street. My oh, parents okay. have like awesome. five five or six properties out there. They own that Econo Lodge and the Sunset Inn and the Barristers Guest Quarters and the Windcrest yeah, right absolutely. by right by the winery. Yeah, oh, very walking cool. distance from it. Very and cool. so we're yeah we're very familiar with it. And uh, I thought I was I was kind of excited to interview you just because we've been doing stuff in Fredericksburg for so long. Um, all right, so give me the details on Lost Draw. If anybody wants to go out there, it's like an hour, sure. hour and a 15-minute drive. Uh, yeah, what are the hours? What can people expect from like a visit, uh, yeah. tasting, bu- buying bottles of wine, all that stuff? Yeah, so we are about an hour and 10 minutes from right here where we sit right now, okay. downtown San Antonio. If you're more on the north side, it's right at an hour. Easy drive. It's Pretty right drive. through the hill country. It's beautiful drive out there. There's a ton of places to stay, but if you are going to go out there, I would strongly encourage planning your trip in advance because there are a lot of people that travel out there on the weekend from all over the state and even out of state now. We see more out-of-state visitors in the last two years than we have in, in obviously, the previous six. So yeah. uh, plan your trip. Uh, we're open seven days a week. Totally. Um, if you want a more intimate experience, I would encourage coming on a weekday, even Fridays. Okay. Um, but Saturday and Sunday are generally pretty busy, pretty wild. And not that you're not going to get a good experience, but there's gonna be a lot of people at the winery 
And we have events all the time. If you check out our website, lostrawsellers.com, you'll see like our full event schedule. Cool. Um, but I would also strongly encourage if you are coming to see us to make a reservation. Um, we have a bunch of different tasting options. Not a bunch. We have a couple, but some of them are like include food pairings. Okay. Um, if you plan it far enough in advance, you can do barrel tastings with me, which that's, is always a good awesome. time. But uh, all of that can just be booked, you know, through our website, and it's pretty easy. Or you can call up to the winery and make a reservation that way. But that's the best way to get a to get a tasting to make sure you're gonna you know stay on schedule and not have to wait or anything like that. And and I would say that for just about every winery in the area now, it's a pretty popular place to travel on the weekend. So that's the best thing to do is to get a reservation. Well, and I don't know what like the seasons are like or the best time to go, but I mean, we're in early March. It's like the best time in the next two months to go to Fredericksburg. And I'm assuming in the summer, it's just super popular too. Oh yeah. I always, it's always the kind of funny. I'm a pretty avid golfer. That's like what I like to do. Like when I'm not doing winery stuff. And the busiest time for the winery ha- yeah, also happens to be season. like when That's the funny. best times to golf in Texas are. Uh, so it makes it a little challenging to work the, around that. But um, yeah, between now and you know early summer, like the weather's just perfect, and we have live music Thursday or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, which is always creates a pretty cool atmosphere to come and even hang out when you're done with the tasting or just want to relax. Like it's a very easy, inviting atmosphere to. Well, and what's cool in. about it, what specifically about your place, is that someone can go stay in town. They could probably walk or a very short drive to Lost Draw. Then they could literally walk to Main Street and and walk around and, and experience all of what Fredericksburg has to offer without being way out on 290 or something. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, our place does open itself and is very conducive for different trips. Like if you're coming to do a, a whole wine trip, you're probably staying in Fredericksburg anyway, so you can go out and then come back and eat. Sure. Or- Start at our place or end at our place. You don't have very far to go for dinner or back to your bed and breakfast or hotel. And the same thing if you're not wanting to do just a wine trip. You're wanting to come shop and eat and everything. So we, you don't have to spend half your day going out to wineries. Yeah, We're like right there. the gamut of what you can do. That's, that's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you coming down to the studio, driving in. To, uh, I, hope, I don't know if you have something else you're about to go do or you just came in for this, but I really appreciate it. Yeah, I got a lot of friends in San Antonio. I'm going to go meet up with a couple of them probably and oh, before yeah. I head home. So. Awesome, man. Well, yeah. thanks for chatting. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Building Something Out of Nothing. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, you can email me at ed, that's ed6238, at gmail.com. As always, you can visit either one of our locations seven days a week. Our roastery and first location is over at Warehouse 5 at 1333 Buena Vista Street. If you'd like to serve Shotgun House coffee roasters in your restaurant, cafe, or office, shoot us a quick email at orders at shotgunhouseroasters.com or contact me anytime at 254-913-9031. Our intro music is provided by the Delicate Boys from Austin, Texas. You can find this song and their entire album on Spotify. Thanks.